It's time for the show that scours the globe for news that interests you. We've scoured a few other planets, too. Didn't find much. Coming to you almost live from their command center just beneath the Earth's crust, here's Jeremy Bray and Wesley Faulkner with Global Geek News. Welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast, the show that tries to answer the question, just what the heck is going on in the media, entertainment, and technology worlds. As always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, better known to most of the people on the internet as PCNerd37, and on the other end of Skype is my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Oh, things are going great. Yeah, good to hear. How's life in Texas? Uh, weather's temperate, and uh, the food's still good, so... <laughs> That's one thing when we seem to be getting less and less of our here is good food. Yet oddly enough, my weight is going up again. I don't know. Uh, maybe because it's of depression for the lack of good food. I guess I don't know. I need to work on losing a few pounds again. I lost. I I seem. It seems like I've gained everything I lost a couple months ago. So that's not good. Yeah, yes. Good. Sorry. I was going to say that I, I need to get in better shape myself. Yeah, I haven't seen the inside of a gym since high school, so that's probably not a good thing. Well, there's photos on the internet, so you can look those up. <laughs> eh, that might work. That'd probably be the cheaper of the option, too, because I think around here they're like 40 bucks a month for the gym. Oh, man, really? I, I think that's what they were running last time I looked. It was I think the cheapest one I saw was maybe 35 but I think they generally range around 40 45 a month, something like that. Oh, that's insane. That's that's gouging expensive. Really? I yeah, it's about about ten bucks a month here. Gee, I wish we could get that around here. Huh. Well, anyway, we've got plenty of news and stuff for this week. Just a or <clears throat> ah, excuse me. This is episode eighty five for those that are keeping track so we're inching our way towards 100 which i think we should be hitting that around the first little after the first of the year or will we will we hit 100 this year or? oh i don't think we'll hit it this year no let's say is there 15 weeks left in the year no nah, i think it'll be like january or february or something like that on next year that we should finally hit the centennial show right about the same time we run out of IP addresses, but I don't want to skip ahead. <laughs> yeah. For those that are wondering, you can, of course, find the show notes at globalgeeknews.com, which you can find all kinds of other really cool content that I was trying to bring up so I could tell you about, but it seems like Global Geek News is down again. How many times has it been? Uh, I'm guessing that's going to be at least three times in the last month. Well, it was a couple times this week, right? Yeah, I had some more downtime, what was it, yesterday or Saturday, that was really frustrating. Up oh, now it's just finally now decided to come up. Apparently it must be really slow, or it was coming out of a downtime or something. Yeah, Host Monster, the last 
month or so has just gotten to be absolutely horrible. It's like one time, it's like, oh, we're having some downtime. We'll be back in 10 minutes. Then the one over the weekend, it's like, oh, we're having some performance issues. So our IT guy is looking into it. We should be back in a half an hour. It's like, okay, I've had about enough of this. You and your I mean, they used to have really good support and everything, but now everything's just kind of gone to crap, so now I'm looking for a new host. And I'm kicking around a couple of different ones that people are recommending in my direction. One of them is Fat Cow, which I, I'm hearing a lot of good things about. And another one that I'm still uh, looking into some details on, I actually have to shoot off an email to find out some more details, is called, oh, what was it called? Um, Mid-Phase, which I'd never heard of them, but they look pretty impressive, and apparently the guy that seems to run a whole bunch of hosting companies, including this one, is offering to cut me a deal on it and everything, so with a discount or whatever. So I may be moving to this mid-phase here very soon because HostMonster has just gotten to be absolutely terrible. So I, I definitely need to come up with a new hosting thing, and uh, Squarespace is not an option just because I have several sites, and they offer you a site, not a hosting package, really. So I can't, I would have to have a separate account paying how much ever a month for each of my individual sites. Not to mention their, um, what they give you is in terms of bandwidth and storage just doesn't really accommodate a podcast like ours when we have dozens and dozens of listeners and each show is like around, what, 60 or 70 megs or whatever. So, yeah, that I'm I'm for those that are worried about the downtime or whatever, I'm working on it. Hopefully, we'll get something fixed here in the next month or so. I don't know. I've done switching from hosts before and it it is a major pain. But anyway, speaking of going back to the stuff that's been on Global Geek News in the past week, of course, we have the tips of the week last week which I believe that was um, post number 12 of the tips of the week, including things for making real-time backups of file changes in multiple folders, things for password protecting a public Dropbox, which I've gotten to be really big into Dropbox lately. If you're looking for a recommend... if you're, I think there's recommendation codes or whatever for Dropbox that will give you an extra, I think it's like, 256 megs or whatever when you sign up, shoot me a tweet or an email or something like that and I can hook you up with one of those. It, it'll help a lot. I, I've become a huge Dropbox fan in the past week. But there's also stuff for a new reposit or a repository called Midibuntu for installing non-free apps on the new Ubuntu 10.10, which I've been using the new Ubuntu 10.10 Netbook Edition absolutely fantastic. Oh, that's good to hear. I I can't believe how much I love it. It it is awesome. I had one small hiccup with the install and having had some history with Linux, I knew what I was doing so it wasn't a problem. 
But if you're doing some dual booting or whatever as to where you're having to maybe like resize partitions, set up partitions or whatever, basically doing some advanced partition stuff, it, they don't, as user-friendly as the install is, if you're using the advanced stuff, it they don't point out to you that you need a swap partition until you try and go without a swap partition. Which, I don't know, I guess if you're a newbie, you won't be doing too much with the partition stuff anyway, but I would think that that would be something that they would put like just as a little note at the bottom. General rule of thumb is have a swap partition twice the size of the amount of RAM that you have. You'd think that that would be something that they just put in as a little footnote at the bottom, but instead you just get this pop-up alerting you to the fact that you should have a swap file right before you reformat part of your hard drive. But otherwise, it's fantastic. It's gotten rid of a lot of the complaints I've had about Linux in the past as far as not having Flash come installed by default. Uh, there is an option when you... Um, set it up for having like third-party codecs and stuff automatically installed, like MP3s and stuff like that. And it's got a nice little software center on it where you can download all kinds of free software, like development tools to browsers such as Chromium, which of course is the Linux version of Chrome. Um, it comes with Firefox installed as the default browser. It, the netbook version is just fantastic. I haven't had a chance to try out the desktop version yet. I haven't. I've heard that it hasn't had the overhaul that the netbook version has. But if you have a netbook, I highly recommend making. I don't know if you want to necessarily wipe off Windows or whatever on for it. I say it's good enough that you could definitely take off Windows and put it on there and not have a problem. But you definitely owe it to yourself to at least make a small partition, put it on there, because it really is fantastic. The one thing I haven't checked out with it yet is how it does, how it performs in terms of battery life. That's the one thing I have yet to really test out. Otherwise, it's got to be one of the best operating systems I've ever used. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, but anyway, there's all kinds of other links in the show notes for using old CDs as driveway reflectors, um, how to transfer files over Wi-Fi with Dropbox, how to accept credit card payments on mobile devices, um, some free data recovery software for the Mac, all kinds of stuff. And apparently, the, and there's even one in here for an extension for Chrome that is, alleviates the number one complaint I have about Chrome being that you can't set wallpaper in Chrome. As far as far as on any other browser, you can right-click an image and set it as wallpaper. Well, now somebody's come up with an extension to do that. So all that stuff in the tip of the week, tips of the week, definitely check that out. And there's a number of other really cool posts in the past week, like apparently the Star Trek original series Enterprise was spotted in the series finale of Battlestar Galactica. And there's also a really creepy-looking. Captain Jean-Luc Picard wedding cake picture <laughs> on there. And some stuff uh, like a music video for programmers called And So You Code. If you're a programmer, you definitely want to watch that. Um, story about touchscreen cell phones having 18 times more bacteria than the flush handle on the average men's room toilet. That's a little on the scary side. and makes you think twice about whipping out your phone at dinner. 
And finally, uh, 17 Connect titles have been launched, most of them having to deal with pretty much dancing or fitness. Basically, there's nothing in there that sounds remotely wonderful to me other than maybe a new Sonic game that might be worth checking out. But certainly not a bunch of launch titles you'd want to have for something major like Connect, which I've got a feeling that's going to end up being a bit of a problem for Microsoft. But Microsoft has more problems than that, as indicated by our some of our stories. But we'll get to those stories later. Starting, But we'll go ahead and start off with IPv4 space shrinks to less than 5%, and the final addresses will be out in early 2011, much sooner than originally thought. Yeah, well, uh, especially it's it's understandable with with tablets being uh, released all the time, and all the Windows Phone 7 came out. So all these internet-enabled devices are... Are are accelerating the de- decrease of available IP4 uh, addresses. So um, I think 2011 actually uh, is a lot sooner. Is a lot uh, not sooner, but uh, not terribly too much sooner than than what was originally estimated. Well, they were estimating earlier this year, which I believe we covered earlier this year. Yes, we did. Um, that they were estimating about, I think it was like the October time frame of next year. Well, now that's going to kind of be more the early part of next year. I, there's a number of different organizations involved in all this, for those that are unfamiliar with the whole I, how internet addresses are divvied up and everything. Of course, you have your Internet Assigned Numbers Authority, which basically holds everything, all the IP addresses. Then they um, divvy them out to regional internet registries which then divvies those out to like ISPs and stuff like that well IANA just gave one of the regional internet registries um, uh, I believe it was two blocks of the remaining 14 blocks of internet addresses, of course, there was originally 256 blocks of internet addresses. Now we're down to only 12. Yeah. And each block is, I think it's a little over 16 million IP addresses. So, and so they're expecting us to be out early part of next year, and that's going to cause a lot of problems. And uh, so. In order to support IPv6, uh, which is the replacement protocol for IPv4, um, operating systems being on phones, laptops, um, iPads <laughs> are going to need to support it. Also, on the server side, the server side needs to support it. So, before you migrate hosts, make sure that they support uh, IPv6. Also, you should also contact your ISPs. So, um, your Comcast, your Time Warners, and make sure that they're ready for the switch over too. Yeah, I highly recommend calling your ISP and just giving them crap for not being ready for it or whatever. I know, if I remember correctly, Comcast is in um, opt-in IPv6 trials, and I think there may be a couple of other ISPs like that, but there's, I don't think there's any major ISPs that have really started to 
make any effort to roll it out to the large scale. And what was it only a month or so ago that the U.S. government released its, or one of the organizations within the U.S. government released its documents for how the rest of the government should navigate the whole migration from IPv4 to IPv6. Yeah. Uh, the good thing is that if you have Vista or Windows 7 on the Windows front, uh, you have IPv6 built into those operating systems. Yeah, I think I'm not sure how far back in terms of operating systems IPv6 goes because IPv6 has been around for quite a while because mm-hmm. people have been really worried about the whole running out of IPv4 addresses for the better part of 20 years now. Or actually. 30 years. Yeah, since the 80s. So that would be 20s, because I'm only 23 and I was born in 87. So, okay. late 80s. Well, three, yeah. three decades, I meant to say. Three decades. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not. So this isn't something new. There are still a number of like security issues and stuff with IPv6. If you want to know about those, I recommend looking them up. I think we even talked about those on a past on the last time we talked about this particular subject on the show, which was probably a couple of months ago. Right. But yeah, this this is going to be causing a lot of problems as soon as we run out. There's going to be a scramble for internet addresses. There's going to be devices that can't get online. And routers won't work anymore. Uh, So a lot of home routers will fail to work. Yeah, there's a lot of people... I'm I'm pretty sure my router supports IPv6, especially with the custom firmware that I've got on it. But there's a lot of people that maybe haven't updated their router in who knows how many years, because it works, you don't need to. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to have to upgrade routers, upgrade modems. If you're, I'm like I said, I don't know how far back as far as um, operating systems go. I don't know if you can. I think I would guess it's probably pretty much anything newer than maybe like a Windows 2000 or a Windows 98. You'd probably be okay on. No, no I mean no? Not, not without additional software. Yeah, but I'm talking about baked into the operating system. I think Vista was the first one to have it. Okay. See, I would have thought XP would have had it, but no. I mean, maybe in Service Pack three, they might have some facilities to do it. But I can tell you, I don't remember it ever being there. Um, I remember getting Vista for the first time and doing IP config and seeing the IPv6 and the IPv4 information in that block. That's the first time I remember seeing it. I don't remember seeing it at all in uh, in XP. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, a number. Well, um, there's, and if you're really using something that old, mm-hmm. you need to have your head examined anyway. But um, one of the things that the ISPs are have been that they're now starting to kind of do for this problem is they're trying to roll out what I've seen referred to everywhere as big net or network address translation, which is something you'll usually see done with your home router, as to where you have one IP address for your house that goes straight to your cable modem or your DSL modem or whatever you have. And then your router assigns a whole bunch of other IP addresses for your particular network. Well, it uses some network address translation in there, so that way the packets get to the right computer, device, or whatever. Well, now the ISPs are talking about doing this at the I- at the ISP level to try and buy themselves some time while they try and get things working properly. 
Except that's going to make for a rather large problem as far as that's going to start breaking services. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't know, peer-to-peer is going to stop working. Um, there's, uh, I'm trying to think of some other things that would probably stop working. I would assume there'd probably be a lot of, like, uh, VLC-type clients that would probably stop working if they had and to it- try and go through a net an extra layer of NAT, um, all kinds right. of stuff. It's also probably going to increase latency, so Skype might stop working. Yeah, it's going to be another issue for latency. It's going it's going that way, yeah, it'll maybe buy you some time, but it's going to cause all kinds of headaches in the process. And this the whole thing just kind of pisses me off because, I mean, we've had IPv6 for years, yet we still have security issues and stuff that we haven't worked out with it because nobody's bothered to mess with it. And now we're at the end of IPv4, and it's like, okay, we have to move there. Nobody's ready. Nobody's bothered to really even try to get ready. And so now here in a couple of months, we're pretty much screwed. Yeah, infrastructure improvements are something that ISPs are usually uh, slow to roll out. I'm kind of curious about wireless providers like WiMAX and Sprint and all these data-only wireless services, whether or not they're effective, affected also. Um, I have no idea, especially with, uh, with they're saying that this could be, whether they say uh, nouveau Amish, like if the whole internet breaks in one day. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, these are new addresses. These aren't current addresses. So uh, current addresses could work. It's just new devices wouldn't be able to get online. Um, but we'll see, we'll see exactly what happens when, the, when, when we all run out. Yeah, I, this is going to be interesting to watch. I have a feeling that this is going to be much worse than Y2K ever was. But, yeah, this is going to be definitely an interesting one to watch. I'm really curious to see just how much internet costs go up by because you know with everything that they're all the ISPs are doing to try and get ready for this and everything they're going to pass the cost right on to the customer so expect much higher internet prices coming in the next few months yes but speaking of Okay, I'm not sure how to transition to the next story. Next story, Microsoft is apparently (laughs) expanding its anti-crackdown licenses from just Russia to now 12 countries. Yes, apparently um, in those 12 countries, they're basically, they're literally issuing issuing a license to pirate the software. (laughs) Yeah, this is of course for advocacy groups and non-profits only. This doesn't count for just everybody. Yes, um, so the the background of the story is that in certain countries, uh, like Russia, um, they've used Microsoft's own licensing to conduct raids on these organizations and confisc- confiscate their computers and prosecute the people involved uh, because they disagree with the government. And this has been their... They're way in through the front door to seize computers. And what Microsoft is doing is trying to seal this loophole by saying, hey, all these people who happen to be against the government that 
you're using to using our licensing uh, rules uh, to go against. Uh, they actually are we're grant, granting them blanket free licenses, so they're no longer in violation of Microsoft's uh, of rules of usage. Yeah, I applaud Microsoft for this. I think this is a cool move, but I re- I'm really not sure how much it's going to help. I mean, if you're going to pirate something like Windows, chances are you're going to have other pirated software on your machines as well. Mm. Whether it's a Photoshop or Office or whatever, that's not going to be that's in most cases not going to be the only piece of pirated software you have. So it's not like this takes away the whole excuse entirely. Oh, okay. I totally agree. It's probably possible that they're having other pirated software on the computers, but um, we have to see if those other companies have the footprint that Microsoft does. And and uh, I think part of it is that they have dedicated lawyers and people to handle those cases in those countries. Uh, other software providers may not have that those type of resources available locally. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that I've noticed a couple of people on sites have pointed out was like, okay, why is only Microsoft doing this? Why aren't other companies doing this? Well, other, like I just pointed out, it would need to be other companies to really see all this loophole. But you're not going to see like Apple doing it for OS X because when you buy a Mac, by definition, it has to have these legal copies of OS X on it an iLife and everything already installed, so you don't really see much in the way of bootlegs for stuff like that. I mean, yeah, you'll see the occasional Hackintosh, but mm-hmm. I really don't think you'll you see very many Hackintoshes in these other in countries like they're talking about, like Russia, China, Malaysia, Vietnam, and eight other Soviet state former Soviet states. And right. with the case of Linux, Linux is free as open and open source, so you can't pirate Linux. Right. And if there is the occasional Hackintosh, like you said, it's not going to be a whole entire organization using it. So um, they wouldn't be able to raid and confiscate everyone's computer if that was the case. Yeah, it's... I don't know. I I think this is a good move by Microsoft, but I'm I'm really not sure how much it's going to help. And if if these governments or whatever want to stamp out these advocacy groups and non-profits... I think that they could probably come up with another reason than just a pirated operating system. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, I mean, this is just one way, one easy way. I'm sure they'll find another one. Yeah, I, I think this is more of just a way of getting Microsoft some good PR more than anything. Uh, well, it worked. And uh, hopefully this will at least delay these raids for a couple months. Speaking of Microsoft and PR, have you seen the new ads for Windows Phone 7? Uh, no, I saw some sneaked YouTube ads like uh, weeks before the actual release. So I don't know how um, how real they are. I've heard. Are you talking about the ones where people are facing down? Yeah, or they're all just wandering around life staring at their phone. Yeah, I've heard of them. I have not seen the video, though. But I've heard people talking about them. Yeah, they've been posted on all kinds of different sites. It seems like a really strange commercial to me. I mean, there are aspects of them that are kind of funny, and I kind of understand what they're going for, but I don't think the average person is going to really understand 
what they're going for. Basically, I think their tagline is something about um, not needing to spend more time looking at your phone or something something to that effect. As, and that makes sense if you are familiar with Windows Phone 7 and you're kind of familiar with the tile interface where it will show you how many emails you have, your missed calls, the number of text messages, um, all kinds of information as far as like um, upcoming events on your calendar and stuff, all right there on the main home screen. But for the average person, I really don't think that they really care about all that stuff, especially when we have a story like we have coming up about the average number of text messages going through the roof. So I don't know. It seems like their commercial is about something a lot of people really probably don't care about. And if you're trying to sell a phone, trying to sell them on the concept of spending less time on the phone probably isn't the way to do it. Yeah. Unfortunately, they are limited by only highlighting software as opposed to hardware with other phones really as where the advertising goes about how slick a device is. But um, they can't really point out to me devices when they're trying to uh, try to prop up the OS. Yeah, they announced nine devices last week from various manufacturers, but I'm curious to know if anybody in the audience has any opinions on the whole ad campaign for Windows Phone 7. Feel free to stick them in the comments. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, but yeah, it just seems like a really odd campaign, and I don't know. It, it just doesn't seem to be a good direction, but then again, when it comes to marketing stuff and Microsoft, those two have never really gone together very well in any way. Hmm. A little Seinfeld, Bill Gates actions, what you're speaking of? Actually, I like those. <laughs> but it's just all the others that I've never cared for. But, yeah, anyway, that was just my little rant about that. But speaking of other things that need ranting about... Apparently, Facebook apps are leaking user info to third parties. Well, uh, the story is about some apps that they pass on your Facebook ID, which is a unique unique identifier uh, for each of the users of Facebook. And they're taking these idea IDs, uh, appending data to them, and passing on to other advertisers, which also all this is against uh, Facebook's uh, term of use. Yeah, and if you think it's just some small little apps here and there, no, it's companies like Zanga with the Farmville application and popular games like Texas Hold'em and stuff. So this isn't just some tiny little app that no one ever plays. Yeah. So, I don't know, apparently Facebook supposedly suspended one company in their app for violating their terms of use with stuff like this and apparently Facebook is trying to work on a way of keeping the Facebook user ID internal and not giving it to the apps or whatever but there's no timetable on that so that could be a while yeah it's it's Lowell apps that got pulled or yanked off Facebook but they have according to the update in the story hence been restored back um Theoretically, the IDs themselves, just having them, doesn't give you any more information uh, mm-hmm. that you couldn't get originally. I mean, just from going to Facebook originally. Um, but the what the ID does give is correlation, so people can correlate 
okay, this user uses these apps in conjunction. Or, and uh, I heard one of the, the other things that they've been able to pass on who your friends are um, and pass that over to advertisers too, so not just to user IDs. Um, so having a unique identifier that follows a person is uh, almost as bad as, uh, as getting their username yeah. to identify them. Yeah, essentially, and I don't know how many, especially people with that don't have the vanity URLs like I do, which I don't friend people I don't know, so I'm not going to give that out anyway. But a lot of times, if like if you were to go to my page or whatever, I don't know. I assume this is still the case. I haven't really tried looking lately, but you would go and you'd see a unique user ID in the URL bar, which it looks like since I have the vanity URL, that's not the case anymore. But that, right. that, that used to be the case. But apparently they still use these um, IDs internally for, I, assume, I presume, storing stuff in a database or whatever. You'll see this with uh, a lot of fan pages, too. You'll, you'll see that ID. Yeah, if you go to the Global Geek News fan page, because I, I do remember seeing that the last time I was on there, yeah, if you look at the Global Geek News fan page, it'll be facebook.com slash pound exclamation point slash pages slash global dash geek dash news slash and then the number after it, which is the ID. Well, with the stuff that's getting past the ID, I mean, all of the stuff that the these app companies are able to get is all public information anyway. This just basically ties you to that application or you and all of your data to that application as to where then they can pass that on to advertisers say oh hey this person plays this kind of ha- app he's favored the, the, he's a member of these kind of groups he's liked these kind of pages that kind of stuff all this public information that just really helps tie you to it yeah so yeah apparently um facebook did uh, an, an investigation, and when I said investigation, they've asked these companies what they've done with the data, and they said, "Oh, we haven't done anything with it. We actually haven't really used it." Um, so, yeah, I don't believe it. I don't believe <laughs> that for a second. Yeah, that's a scout's honor. Um, so uh, they they vow to change their infrastructure so that this type of leak won't happen again. But that's going to be a major overhaul on, on their part. Um, and seeing how what was it last week they were having some problems being up uh, they were having some, some degraded service issues um, it might be hard for them to uh, concentrate with uh, prioritizing a rollout that uh, revamps this user ID before they're uh, working on their own infrastructure issues uh, that's probably more pressing yeah they've got a lot of issues they've been rolling out some updates over the past few weeks like Groups. Um, you can now get one-time passwords from Facebook, um, and I've noticed a new chat, some new changes to the chat in the past week or so. As far as like now on the left navigation bar, you can see it's just a list of everybody's picture that's online with a little box showing whether they're available or away or whatever, compared to the having a list of everybody's name with a small picture and everything, and. They've had a number of major changes. I don't know if those have anything to do with the downtime that they've experienced lately. But, yeah, I would say that as soon as they get those issues 
fixed. Instead of worrying about new features, they should be more worried about these privacy issues since everybody in the media likes to cause them issues over privacy problems whenever they can. Yeah, and they're going to have to solve this before they go public, which is always a rumor that's hanging over their head. Yeah. Well, speaking of the information that you put on Facebook, apparently the U.S. government is relying on Facebook and other sites to spot things like fraud and fake marriages. Yeah, this is going a little bit further than the uh, story we had before. We're talking. The story previously was talking about publicly av- uh, available information. This one is um, basically people using social engineering to uh, have you accept them as friends, and then once they're accepted as friends, then they mine your data for anything that could be either a danger to the security of the United States to people who are just defrauding the government. Yeah, this is one of the many reasons that I don't friend people on Facebook. I don't know. There's a couple of people that I don't know that I know of or they know of me or whatever. But as a general rule, it's pretty much strictly family and friends on there when it comes to people that I've friended. But apparently they're basically going after the concept of the MySpace whore of people who want as absolute many friends as humanly possible. And then they go on there and maybe like check out pictures, status updates, and stuff like that to see if some if something like a marriage like a green card marriage essentially is legit or not right and this is not this isn't just facebook uh they go to baidu they go to windows live spaces they're going to 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 youtube they're trying to go every social media uh profile or uh property and uh find these people and try to get uh be friends with them there so people who have lacks acceptance in one network my and stringent re, re, uh, acceptance in another um, they just need one uh, vector to get in to try to compile this information yeah and there's been people that have been arrested and stuff by the FBI for things that they've said on Facebook in the past and I'm not sure if those have been cases of they've friended somebody that was employed by the FBI or what, but we know that, of course, the FBI keeps a real close eye on stuff that's posted on there as to where if they feel that there's something that's a threat to national security or whatever, they'll go and arrest the person for it or whatever. And and this is, of course, all under the guise of national security. Yeah, according to this, uh, during the Obama election, uh, or the election of Obama, however you want to the inauguration, uh, phrase it. the inauguration, yeah, um, they they cranked up these efforts to see if they could find any threats out there in the social networks. Yeah, I guess then they were looking at Facebook, MySpace, Twitter, YouTube, Dig, Blogger, Craigslist, which that seems a little strange, Wikipedia, which looks a little strange, and Flickr. It's like, okay, what am I going to put on Flickr that's going to say that I'm going to threaten the president? Am I going to take a picture of a sign saying that I'm going to do something to the president? That seems kind of stupid to me. Possibly. 
But yeah, apparently they are also monitoring sites for certain demographic groups, like sites I've never heard of, like Black Planet, Daily Costs, or even NPR, which kind of surprised me. You haven't heard of NPR? I've heard of NPR, but I'm kind of okay. surprised that they're being monitored. <laughs> okay. But, um, yeah, that's just some in, something to keep in mind as far as the information that you put out online. It's You always want to be careful of what you put out online anyway as far as what future employers might look at, family, friends, that kind of thing. But now you have Big Brother watching you too. Yeah. And tell you the truth, I'm kind of happy <laughs> that the government is at least um, keeping up with the times. Uh, I, I mean, I, I know it's kind of scary that people they could try to friend you and to get your information, but uh, buyer beware, beware. I mean, just be careful online, and this is just more reasons why. Yeah, I'm gonna go with they should just leave me alone. Uh, they'll they'll leave you alone because you won't friend them. Yeah, yeah. I don't friend them if they want to. If they want to get me for something, they can call me, or maybe they could text me. Ah, because although I'm not one of them, the average teen sends three thousand three hundred and thirty-nine texts per month, which is insane, and an increase over last year. Um, and they're saying that the age group of thirteen to seventeen has by far the biggest gap. Uh, in in texting from all the other groups. Yeah, so put, to put this in a little bit of a context, that 3,339 texts is essentially six texts for every waking hour that the teens are awake. Yes, and uh, that number, the 3,339, is an average between boys and girls. Yes, and of course, girls doing a whole lot more texting than guys. Yes, the average for girls is around a little over 4,000 texts, and the average for guys is a little over 2,500 texts. Um, so uh, there seems like uh, phones are just text messaging devices uh, and are used seldom for anything else um, because app usage between girls and guys are reversed. Guys use more data and girls use less. Yeah, well, of course, you know, you got all the guys looking at porn on their phones. That's going to make a whole <laughs> lot of sense. But, um, yeah, I don't fall into this group. I, I would say that I have I send maybe 200 text messages a month, maybe. Uh, so I, I really would not... I'm. It's probably a good thing I'm not a teenager anymore because I definitely don't fall into this group. But, yeah, they're saying that... Um, Mobile phone usage, as far as like talk, voice calls goes, is down considerably, largely due to the increase due to the increase of text messaging. As far as voice calls among teens are down fourteen percent. Yeah, now all those commercials where they said you can talk and text all you want <laughs> uh, make a little bit more sense after reading seeing these numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't know how many people really care about talking anymore, or at least any people that are younger people. I, I say that um, another thing is like the whole age group of 55 and older, they don't do much with this kind of stuff compared to the younger generation. 
uh-huh. as far as times on their mobile phone or whatever, which presumably the people 55 and older are still on their landlines most of the time. But, yeah, I, I've, I'm kind of... These numbers just shock me. I can't believe they're as high as they are. Yeah, it's extremely high. Um, but it's also, I think... Uh, how, many, how long are these texts, I guess? Some of them, are they just LOL or hi or yes, no, or why, no, or are you? And uh, So I wonder the, the, the sheer volume uh, of characters that are, that are generated from these texts. Yeah, and apparently um, safety is no longer the top reason for younger people owning a cell phone. Now it's... Pretty much um, being able to keep in touch with friends, family, just the convenience of having a phone everywhere, peer pressure, and, of course, avoiding having to use the family's landline, which is very embarrassing, apparently. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Other than at work, I don't know the last time I used a landline. Because we've gone all mobile phones here a long time ago. I guess the closest thing you could say I have to a landline is Skype. Landline. My mom has a landline. Uh, yeah. So my grandparents my, have one. And even when I'm at my mother's and I may need to make a call, I use my cell phone. So uh, I can't say that I remember the last time I did use a landline also. Uh, well, unless you call it like hotel rooms, like calling room service or the front desk. Yeah, I haven't used a landline in a long time. Yeah, I, I don't. I never use the phones in hotel rooms. But yeah, I, I don't know the last time I've used a landline other than at work. I don't know very many people that still have a landline other than like my grandparents. I mean, I know. I think the penetration of landlines is still like ninety-four percent or something insane like that. But I just don't know the last time I used it. If I ever get to a point where I like don't have maybe a cell phone signal or if I'm running low on minutes, which I only have like 400 minutes a month, then I just use Skype, which I prefer to use for longer calls anyway. That and I like to be able to record calls. Questionable legality, depending on if I I okay that with them, that the call can be recorded or whatever, which I never do. But, oh well. Yeah. uh, No comment. (laughs) Well, speaking of calls. Apparently, one-fifth of U.S. adults have engaged in video chats, whether it's on something like Skype or FaceTime. Yes, uh, this is coming out of a Pew Research uh, survey that they've conducted. They've surveyed around 3,000 people. Um, And uh, what they extrapolated is that out of this 3,007%, said they have uh, chatted over video and their headsets, which comes out to about 19% when they compare it to the total compo- uh, population uh, that use uh, v- use it for video calling, which is extremely surprising to me since front-facing cameras are relatively new, at least here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you can find them on... You've been able to find them on Nokia phones over in Europe for a little while, I think. Yeah, but I, I think the only real U.S. phone that has it is the iPhone 4 with the FaceTime. Uh, Evo 4G. Oh, the Evo 4G has it as well. Yeah. Huh. I guess I really did, I didn't realize that. 
Interesting. Yeah, I've never done a video chat. Well, let me take that back. There was one time, there was like a six-way, five or six-way video chat as like a beta test of Uvu when it was just announced. That's the only video chat I've ever done. Yeah, I've done plenty of video chats at work um, with conferences with India. Um, but on a handset, a cell phone, I have not done any. Um, and it's it's amazing about how some people have started listing that a front-facing camera is a requirement for their next phone. Yeah, I don't understand that. I, it just seems awkward to me the concept of holding my phone out at arm's length just to talk at somebody so I can look at them while I'm talking to them. Yeah, I think it's kind of the Star Trek effect is that some people see that as the future of where we're all going to be going eventually, so they want to be prepared for it. Uh, kind of like some people say they won't buy a TV unless it's a 3D TV. It's kind of it's kind of uh, people feel that it's future proofing. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, I mean, the whole concept of video calls is nice for some things, but just for something on your actual phone, I I just don't see it being very useful. Yeah, it's kind of the exact opposite of the previous story about text messaging being on a rise, which is no voice, no video, um, and then going to full-on video chat, which is uh, fully, uh, you're communicating with not just your voice, not just what the words you're saying, but facial expressions. Mm -hmm. So, I wonder what what, what demo this is attractive to. Yeah, being able to see facial expressions and stuff might be nice, although at the same time it might make it harder for some people to lie over the phone, too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm at work. <laughs> it's like, oh, wait, you see a stripper in the background? Yeah, I work at a strip yeah. club now. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, you don't look sick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I just don't see any... I have yet to see a reason for me to use it. I don't know. Maybe someday. Yeah, I agree. Um, maybe if they come out with chat roulette for the iPhone or something. <laughs> That'd be interesting. But, mm, nah. Still don't think I'd do that. But, uh, you know, one of the bad things about all this, most of the stories this week is there's no real good way to tie them together. Especially this next one, where apparently a patent troll is suing a number of companies over... Some rollover web images patent, including drop-down menus. Yes. Um, this company is going around suing people. Um, uh, the name of the company is called Web uh, Webvention. Uh, and they claim that they've already settled claims with uh, Apple, Nokia, Sony, and even Google. And they're currently suing... Uh, Abercrombie and Fitch, uh, Bed Bath and Beyond, Dell, GameStop, and E-Trade, among others, to see if they will settle and pay a one-time eighty thousand um, uh, dollars to to grant be granted a license for. Cool. Apparently, it says rollover inter- uh, images, but reading the description, I don't see how they got that from there. Yeah, I'm not sure. I can under. I don't know how they necessarily got rollover images from that. From reading the description, I 
get the whole idea of drop down menus mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but I'm not so sure about rollover images. See, the thing that they ha- their description is a computer based method for aiding a user and accessing a body of stored information which includes segments of related information. The method comprising displaying a set of labels, each label providing an abbreviated indication of information content of a corresponding one of said segments, said labels, being displayed in an organized model reflecting relationships among information content of said corresponding segments. As well as where another one, the one for the drop-down menus, about models comprising a hierarchy of least of at least two levels. Yeah, uh, this sounds like a outline or a table of contents, which I don't. I mean, there's definitely prior art to that. So um, uh, there's one company that's currently fighting it, and uh, I wish them the best um, because the USTO, um, the sorry. The U.S. Trademark Office, um, they 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 are crazy by granting patents that are so vague. And to me, this sounds extremely vague. It sounds like it could be the table of contents of a book or an outline for my college research paper. Um, that it, it, it does it doesn't seem like it's exactly rela- related to rollover items. Yeah, and in the in the story and the link in the show notes. There's another link where you can actually uh, see one of the patents, which apparently was filed back in on February 7th of 1990. So this has been around for a little while. Apparently, it was invented by a Daniel H. Alblo. Yeah, the question is: are, are, Is the company this uh, Webvention? Uh, are they the originator of the patent, or did they just purchase it so they can start suing people? Yeah, I don't know. There's a ton of information on here, references, claims, all kinds of stuff. So I guess if you're really interested, you can check that out in the show notes. But um, I'm not going to waste my time going through it. It seems to be just another patent troll to me. Yeah, but, hopefully we'll we'll see the fallout for this when it gets to trial. Yeah, hopefully it'll get thrown out. But I don't know, if you get companies like Apple and Google and Sony and stuff to give you money... That, I think that kind of says, hmm, maybe there is something to this. Although maybe they just didn't want to, they wanted to avoid the lawsuit just in case. Yeah, their lawyers probably are uh, more expensive <laughs> than the money they're asking to be paid. Yeah, I mean, when you look at Apple, they had, what, a $20 billion quarter this last quarter that was announced today? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, yeah, 80000 is pennies. Just give them the 80000 and tell them to shut up. Yeah. But... Anyway, speaking uh, of money, yeah, speaking of money, ebook sales are up 193 percent so far this year. Yeah, the, there's been a decline in some hardback. I'm sorry, in some uh, paperback books, but digital sales more than compensate for the loss uh, that they've seen uh, in the analog realm. So it's fairly impressive how the growth year over year is nearly 200 percent. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, especially when you compare this to something like music, where digital downloads aren't really offsetting CD sales, but in this case, ebook sales are more than offsetting the loss of 
Dead Tree editions. Yeah, and I think this has to do with the the readiness of devices like the iPad, uh, the iPhone, the the iPod, um, and uh, the Kindle, and the Nook, and and the Sony e-reader, and so much more that the, the availability of getting uh, e-books onto the device that you want, some sort of version, is becoming easier and easier, especially as publishers are uh, joining the revolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is that in most cases, ebooks are cheaper than the even paperback books. So I, I think that's probably a big reason for why their the sales are through the roof compared to um, paperback and hardback books that are essentially in the toilet. I guess adult hardcover books were up a little bit, but still down like 24.4% from the previous month's sale sales. So, yeah, I'm kind of curious to know just how much longer the whole print industry has as far as books go. I mean, we all know that newspapers and magazines are dying quickly, but I'm wondering how much more life the actual books have. Oh, well, they said that the textbook market is still extremely healthy. Um, so at least in that front, until they go digital, um, I think, I think the, I think I saw a story once that said that the state of Texas alone uh, is like the number two purchaser of all books in the United States. <laughs> um, so there's there there's a huge growth in education, and as long as textbooks are still printed on paper i i think this number uh of i, th- I think the number of printed books as opposed to digital books is still going to be swayed in that direction yeah the whole educational books is a whole other rant and conversation for a different time but yeah there's that's pretty much one of the only real growth in the whole dead tree industry right now is the education because You've always got you've got these books that keep having to have new editions every year, and of course you charge an arm and a leg for them. As anybody who's ever had to buy like college textbooks knows that like a book will cost you over a hundred bucks or whatever, which is insane. So yeah, that that's definitely no surprise. Although hopefully more schools will be migrating to some sort of an ebook or whatever where they don't have to be making a new edition every year. Maybe you can just subscribe to the book and then it'll be automatically updated as new information becomes available so you're not having to wait for a new edition, deal with outdated information, stuff like that. Yeah, One of the I many know, problems I have with the current educational system. Yeah, I know California uh, was looking into implementing something like that, so um, they're going to be the the test bed for a lot of this digital delivery when it comes to educational materials. Yeah, I know. Yeah, California was a big one. It seemed like there was a couple others. I think there was like a school district in Arizona that was one of them. And wow, it seems to be getting a lot of background noise on your mic now. Oh, sorry. How's that? Uh, it's still there. Now it's slowly going away. It, it's just like all of a sudden, like the noise filtering or whatever went out of it, so there's just kind of like this background noise kind of thing going on. 
sorry about that. I was leaning forward. I think it was reflecting off my, uh, echoing off my chin or something. <laughs> Could be. It's it's mostly gone now. But speaking of things that might be gone, apparently your, for most people, credit card information and stuff could be gone because they have easily hackable Wi-Fi. Yeah, I was reading this story, and I think the title's a little misleading. They're talking about how home Wi-Fi could be hacked in five seconds. Um, The word hacked is kind of strong because they're talking about uh, home routers and public Wi-Fi that basically doesn't have any passwords. So passwordless uh, routers. So I wouldn't call it hacked if there's no password. Yeah, I I don't know if I... I would agree. I don't, I'm not sure if hacked was really the right, right word. This is coming from the Mail Online. So this is a study coming out of the UK where I guess they went and found that almost 40,000 homes are at high risk of being hacked as far as their Wi-Fi goes because they don't have any kind of security on it despite the fact that I think it's like 82% of people in the UK think that they ha- have secure Wi-Fi? Yeah. Um, people think that maybe their SSID is unique, and so they think that's some sort of security, which it's not. Um, but a lot of packets that are sent through the air are sent, uh, are easily snooped and able to be uh, intercepted by anyone on the same network. The uh, difference between... Uh, that traffic and traffic from your bank is that usually that's uh, HTTPS, which is a secure connection, which means uh, even though you're on the same network, they shouldn't be able to snatch, snatch those packets. Um, so this, this, so it, usually shopping online or if you're doing anything which, um, especially if you're on a bank site, um, usually those are still fine as in you're still protected because the it, it's maybe not the connections protected, but the transaction between you and the server is protected. Yeah, and that, that's one of the things to really be concerned about when you're at a public Wi-Fi, as far as when you go to log into your bank, your email, or whatever. You want to make sure that it's has SSL encryption and everything, which you can usually tell by the little padlock. Sometimes it'll be like in your address bar. It'll be down at the bar, at the little status bar at the bottom of your browser or whatever to indicate that you have some sort of a secure connection, even if you're in a public place. My personal policy is that if I absolutely need to log into something on a public Wi-Fi network, I don't care if it's email. I I never log into a bank on on a public Wi-Fi just in case. But if it's like email or logging into a message board or something like that, usually I'll try and force a secure connection. If I can't do that, I'll usually use like a um, log me in, a service like log me in, which is those that haven't heard of it. It's like go to my PC and I'll just log into my computer at home and then surf from my computer at home to do whatever I want, which then I'll do like banking stuff or whatever. But I'll, yeah. I, I never want. I want to make sure that my passwords and stuff are never sent in the clear when I'm out in public. That's something I years ago when you never really had to worry about this. It, well, I never cared. But anymore, that that's something that I'm very vigilant about. But 
Yeah, the main thing about the story is most people aren't securing their, or there's a good percentage of people, at least in the UK, around here that's a different story, that a lot of people aren't securing their Wi-Fi. Now, I know I know a lot of newer ISPs that have like a, um, like their modem is built into a, it's a modem router combination or whatever. Those tend to come with encryption, web encryption by default, but web uh-huh. encryption can be hacked in what like 60 seconds i think it is now so that's really not much better so really you need to have pretty much wpa encryption on just about everything right and if you want to avoid um being snooped on no matter if it's a public or your home wi-fi um you can always use a vpn you can set one up yourself or um, i believe google has a free vpn client that you can download from them yeah, I think VPN is pretty much the way to go, or even just something like a simple SSH tunnel or something like that, which that's for the more geekier people. But uh, yeah, we're running really uh, late as far as the show goes. Yeah, we're like already past an hour, and we still have four stories, three, two stories to go. Two, yes. Yeah, yeah I've got like extra tabs here open by accident. Um, next well, story. Next one's really short. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of hacking, apparently insanity is not a defense for e- hacking email. Yeah, this next story is about a, a person who said that they were bipolar, and so they're using that as an excuse as a mental condition, saying that, um, that they plead insanity for hacking into someone's email account. Yeah, apparently you can't blame your alternate personalities <laughs> on email hacking, or at least not with this particular judge. You know, the funny thing is, is that um, they were caught hacking the email of uh, a, of another case that they were <laughs> that they were involved with. Um, so, so it, it related to a course. Uh, sorry, a, a court action is when they're trying to to hack into someone's email address that triggered this case, and uh, and and the judge said, "Yeah, I don't think so." Yeah, I, I thought that was kind of funny. There was another story today too that I found kind of interesting, and it's from the same site, Tech Dirt, where apparently a teacher had his laptop stolen, or I guess it was. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. His whole bag, yeah, I tweeted it earlier, um, where he had his bag that had like, his laptop and his wallet and everything in it stolen. Whoever stole it returned his bag and everything, took all of the guy's personal data off of the laptop, put it on a USB stick that was apparently also in the bag, and mailed it back to this teacher. So he kept the laptop and just sent everything ba- else back, including the professor's data. Yeah, that's a very, very nice thief. <laughs> But uh, I heard it on NPR on my way to work this morning. Yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. That, that's not something you hear too much of. Right. Talking about stealing, it looks like uh, Linux is stealing some market share from Windows. Yeah, this one I can understand, but it kind of surprised me and it kind of worries me as far as Microsoft goes, which I don't know if you heard the big news today, but Ray Ozzy is stepping down. Yeah, I heard about that, yeah. Yeah, of course, Ray Ozzy is the uh, chief software architect over at Microsoft, and apparently Balmer has no plans to replace him. There's there's just going to be some kind of a transition 
period for a team, and then he's in the meantime he's going to work on the entertainment side of stuff. So basically, like Xbox and stuff like that. But yeah, he's pretty much gone now, or will be retiring here shortly. But in this story, apparently Linux is pretty much eating up the server market share from Windows and even Unix. Yeah, but it's taking a bigger chunk from the Windows side uh, rather than the Unix side. And if I had to choose, they don't mention in the article, if I had to think about, uh, if I had to speculate as to why more Windows than, than Unix, I would say it's because of the stumbles that Windows has had, especially uh, on the client and enterprise side. Um, Vista was probably uh, the last code base for the newest server operating system for Windows, and that's been getting some lackluster reviews. And uh, I think that uh, that negative negativity has uh, affected the enterprise side. Yeah, one of the things that has been especially touted in the Linux community for quite a long time is their, as far as servers go, how stable Linux is, how secure it is. I know people that have left their Linux install going unpatched or whatever for years without having any being hacked, ever having any problems that they needed to reboot the machine or anything. So, I mean... Linux is just notorious for being stable and secure, and that's kind of what a lot of companies are looking for, and that's why they're moving away from, like, Microsoft Server, what is it, 2008 or whatever. And the thing that has me kind of worried is now that Microsoft is putting all of this emphasis in the cloud with Azure, I'm kind of curious, is it almost too little too late because with all the customers that they're bleeding the Linux right now. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think that, you know, their dominance in the server space is... Uh, I, re- I remember they had, like, uh, they were working on a Windows data center variant that's supposed to be, like, for extremely large supercomputer clusters. I'm not sure if they're, maybe they'll be moving into that space a little bit more uh, to help offset the losses uh, in the server arena. But I agree with you. With the, the the it's so much easier to deploy a Linux server, especially when you're t- getting into licensing issues mm-hmm. um, that that Windows faces when you try to deploy a server. Um, e- Linux is so much easier. Um, so I can see how some people, if you're gonna if you if you're in a mixed environment where you have Linux servers and Windows servers, probably majority of the maintenance is probably going to be on the Linux side. I mean, sorry, the Windows side. Yeah, um, yeah. just the whole total cost of running stuff and everything is just a lot more expensive with Windows. And I don't know, do you keep up much with like the ethical hacking community and some of the security conferences and stuff that happen around the country? Uh, I don't keep up with them, but I, I kind of hear about them in my periphery of news. Well, there's usually, especially at the bigger security conferences and stuff, there's usually like hacking competitions for maybe trying to break into whatever operating system or whatever. And a lot of them have competitions for breaking into servers and they rank the different servers with different points based on the operating system, based on like 
how known the operating system is to be secure or whatever, how hard it's been to hack in the past, stuff like that. Well, judging by their point systems that they use for those, Windows is by far the easiest to hack compared to like a Linux server or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you can you tend to get more points and more credibility for hacking a Linux server compared to a Windows server just because supposedly hacking Windows is so easy or whatever. So I, I think that's probably a big problem for Microsoft because that's not really helping their perception any. Yeah, with Server 2008, I believe, they have a variant of server that's command line only, basically, to reduce the attack surface mm-hmm. to be more Linux-like. Uh, so uh, maybe they'll go further down that road, uh, or maybe they don't see this as a threat and maybe a natural attrition. Um, we'll see uh, if they react to it. Um, we still have to see what their... Um, uh, I think, have they released their Windows 7 variant of the server operating system yet? I don't think they have. I... Isn't that server 2008? No. No, I thought that was... Is it? I believe it is. Okay. I could be wrong about that, but um, I, I don't know about the adoption rates of that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure what the rates are or anything of that, but yeah, I, I'd say Microsoft has some issues that it really needs to just deal with its perception of stability and security when it comes to the enterprise when it, for their server software if, they're, if they want to stay competitive. But anyway, that would be all of our stories for this week. Of course, we've run incredibly long compared to our usual hour. What are we at... Uh, like an hour and 13 minutes or something like that. Yeah, sounds right. Yeah, somewhere around there. But anyway, don't forget, you can always check out all of these stories to get more details than we had time to mention in the show notes at globalgeeknews.com. Of course, the show comes out every Tuesday morning at approximately 8 a.m. Pacific time. And if you're a subscriber, a lot of times the show will show up early for you in in your podcatcher which I highly recommend subscribing, whether it's on iTunes, Zune, whatever your podcatcher of choice happens to be. And, of course, you can support us in a number of ways, whether it's buying stuff from the Global Geek News online store, like T-shirts, hats, bumper stickers. Um, I think there's, like, gym bags and all kinds of stuff in there. And, of course, we always are looking for donations, which that's probably going to be needed when it comes to time for me to switch hosts here very soon. So always use donations to help with the server move. Anyway, I think that's pretty much everything. If you have any questions, comments, you can always hit us up at Global Geek News on Twitter. I'm at PCNerd37 on Twitter. Wesley is at Wesley83 on Twitter. And, of course, you can always shoot us an email at globalgeeknews at gmail.com if there's something longer than 140 characters that you would like to say. And if you have any suggestions, of course, stick them in the comments for the show notes or you can email us or whatever. But, yeah, I think that's uh, pretty much it for this week unless there's something that you want to add. I'm, knowing me, I'm always forgetting at least something, but I think that's pretty much everything. Oh, no, I don't have anything. On my side. 
Okay, no, well, everybody, don't forget to check out all the cool content going on over at globalgeeknews.com during the week. Of course, tips of the week always come out on Friday afternoons. And usually throughout the week, I post various pictures, videos, news articles, you name it. So don't forget to check that out. And we will see you guys. Oh, shoot. It's never a good idea to step on your headset cord. <laughs> um, anyway, we'll see you guys next week. Later. All right, later.